Good evening, everyone. So glad you're here. And if you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 43 through 48. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace that is so sufficient. Thank you that we can boldly come to that throne of grace. We can come into your presence. We can be aware of your presence, knowing you're with us and you'll never leave us or forsake us. And tonight, Lord, that is our desire to, to hear, to see, to know you in a way we've never known before. So, Lord, we look to glorify you, magnify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we, we come again to the book of Matthew, we're, we're looking at the text from, from chapter 5, verse 43 through 48, and I've titled it the, the Test of Love, the Test of Love, and it's so important to understand that, that we're marked with God's love. He pours His love into our hearts. If you're a believer, then God has poured His love into your heart. And we have a mission, and that is to go into this world motivated by love to tell others about Jesus Christ, to bring them into the, the presence of Jesus, and to love them with the love of Christ. Now, it's not a, an accident that when we're looking at this Sermon on the Mount that is placed in the beginning of the, the New Testament, the position itself indicates really the, the importance. Now, again, when I've talked about Matthew, Matthew is written to present Jesus as the the king of kings, the king of the, the Jews. And what the king has been showing us here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's, he's summarizing really the character and the conduct expected of his subjects. This is how we are to live our lives as children of God, children of the, of the kingdom. And that's important. It, it's this godly character that we're called to have. Now, the, the sermon is, is not a, a presentation of a plan of salvation, nor is it a teaching intended to save people, but it's addressed directly to his disciples, to those who profess his name and call upon his name. There are many today that, that call upon his name, profess that they're believers, but in that day of judgment, he'll say, go away, I did not even know you. And this is so important. Do you know Jesus in a personal way? Do you know that Jesus is speaking to you, that you can hear him and know him? Maybe it's not audibly, but that you will know that he's speaking to your heart, guiding you and comforting you and encouraging you. So he speaks again to his disciples, especially we saw that in, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And he intends, again, it's not to be a, a system of, of laws and principles, but it's, it's meant to be, in the sense, past, present, and future, how we are to acknowledge the king, how we are to, to walk with the king. And when Christ was on earth, it was a direct application. He was speaking directly to him. And just as he spoke to them, he speaks to you and me tonight. Now, why the Lord is reigning in heaven... And it, it applies to all that crown him as king in their hearts. Again, this is how we are to live. And while people say, no, no, that's for the millennial kingdom. No, this 
is Christ, how Christ lives. And if we are followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, we will live this way. Now, last week we saw that, again, he was telling his disciples not to retaliate. And Jesus was really bringing out that point is, look, don't take the law into your own hands. Yet when you look around, you look at the news, you see people taking the law into their own hands. And and what they need is not more law, not more policemen. They need Jesus Christ. They need to know what the heart of the Savior is saying. Now, he's going to tell us how to overcome evil, and to overcome evil is with good, and he's telling us tonight by by loving and praying for our enemies. And boy, that is a hard thing for for us to do, to pray for our enemies. Those that are persecuting us, those that are mocking us, those that are challenging us and looking for just problems all the time. See, Jesus is always taking us beyond non-resistance. He's bringing us to a point that we're willing to lay down our lives, deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him daily. Now, sadly, we begin with the, the twisting of love. This is what the teachers were doing of that time. Look with me in verse 43. And Jesus says, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But look at verse 44. He says, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, they had twisted what love was. We call this scripture twisting. It is very common then as it is common today. In fact, Jesus spends a lot of time confronting people with the truth of his word, confronting them, deprogramming people with the teaching of these false teachers. In fact, look on the screen with me. You'll see in Matthew 5, 21, it says, You again have heard the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder will be liable to the court. Again, you have heard. And then in verse 27 of chapter 5, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. You have heard the ancients told you, again in verse 33, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And then verse 38, you have heard it that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus spends a lot of his time deprogramming people because the teachers were not being true to the very word of God. And that's the most important thing for you and me. What does the word of God say? This is our plumb line. This will lead us into all truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So he spends his time deprogramming people from the influence of those who are twisting the scripture. Again and again, we find that the scriptures have been distorted. Now, when this happens, the real intent of the scripture is lost. And, and people fail to realize what God is really saying because they've heard someone else say this and someone else says this. And it's important to understand that when people come to the scripture, they read into the scripture what they want it to say. They want to justify when they want to be angry when they want to do this, when they want to do that. And it's only revealing the rebellion in their hearts. God is clear in what he's saying. And yet they are twisting it. They've created their own God 
in their hearts. A God who could never save them. What's important is you believe the God of the Scripture. That you believe in Jesus of the Bible, not some other Jesus. Because what they do is say, I believe in Jesus. And all the things they say are contradictory to Jesus. But they're not saved because they're not believing in the Jesus that went to the cross and died for him. The very living word of God. And this is the sad thing. And this is what we call scripture twisty. See, they had twisted God's view of love. Again, it says you shall love your neighbor. It's a quote of uh, Leviticus 19, 18. But the phrase, hate your enemy, is never found in the Jewish scriptures, never found in the Tanakh. And we, we have those same problems today. There are some that you say that you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't dance. But the scripture does not condemn these things. If it's alcohol, it talks about drunkenness. Then there are those that, that say, you can do this and do this and do this, and they're trying to draw people that do all these different things, and they're not drawing them to Christ. They have their own idea what the, the Bible is all about. And, and what is happening is they're being used by Satan to sidetrack people. See, it's what we're, one of the schemes of the devil, and one of his schemes is to twist the Scripture. Did God really say that? His schemes are the same right from the very beginning. Now the question arises when we look at our text, And that is, who is my neighbor? And that's always a question because if I don't want to help him, maybe I can find a loophole to get around this and and not really do this or do that. It's in Luke 10, verse 29, he says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's, we can find ourselves falling into that same rut too. We don't want to, where can, how can we get, around this or how close can we get and and, and really still be a Christian still have one foot in the world and God's very clear what he's called us to do now when we look at the idea a neighbor is seeing the gospel it imparts a a broader and even a a deeper sense what a neighbor means it it means literally one that is near and indicating an outward nearness in a proximity and that, that oftentimes includes enemies. There are people next door, neighbors that may drive you nuts, blast their music at all hours, have drunken parties and brawls and fighting the police there all the time, throwing their trash and uh, again in your, your property, your house. I remember years ago, I, I, I wasn't a believer at the time, and I could have swore the neighbor trained their dog to go and and just dump in our front yard. And, and we had just had to clean up after this dog all the time. And every time the wind blew, all their beer cans blowed into our front yard and they had no regard. And the thing that I had to learn as I become a believer is I esteem others higher than myself. I need to be very careful that I'm not going to destroy a witness so that I can see these people come into the kingdom. Realize that they've bought into that lie. Realize God's way and know what God's scripture is and begin to live it so people see what a real Christian looks like. And how do people see you? Do they see Christ in you? That's really the question. 
And that's what they should see is Christ's likeness in you and me. Now when we talk again about this, this enemy in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us a little more about it. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. It's saying, by doing that, you will bless them. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Not anger, not getting in their face, not lashing out at them. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. They're so different than your ways and my ways. We just want to react. We want to settle it. We want to solve it now. See, Jesus taught us to to pray for our enemies. He did that while he was hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. But when someone hurts us, when someone's nasty, oh, we know that they, and we want to get even. We're lowering ourselves down to their standard instead of raising people up to the standard of God. Proximity oftentimes means strife and not love. You can just be too close to people in their face all the time. And that's a common problem we all have to deal with. Now for the Jews, they they looked at other members of the same tribe. Remember, there were 12 tribes. Those were her neighbors. Even Jews elsewhere they considered were neighbors. But not the Samaritans. How could they love God? They live between Judea and Galilee. Jesus taught men that they should act to their neighbors in a way that is a light unto the world. In fact, he he taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan, reach out to those. If you look at Israel and you follow, again, you mark the cities on a map, those key cities on the trade routes you'll follow, God had put them there so they would be a light up on the hill. God wanted to draw people into his presence. God wanted people to know them. They were to be the instruments, and you and I today are the instruments of God. Our actions will show what kind of God that we serve. An angry God, or is he a loving God, a gracious God? See, Jesus taught us how to act with these neighbors. See, God clearly commanded his people in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge upon the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We all love ourselves. When we get up, we primp in the mirror. If we have a mirror, we comb our hair, we brush our teeth. We want to make sure there's no dirt on our clothes. We want people to see the good side of what we're called to do is just as we want to take care of ourselves, we should want to take care of those around us. But we do have to understand you cannot help everyone. Sometimes there is a time, a space that needs to be between in order to help people. Now it's interesting, this this verse is quoted nine times in the synoptic gospel. That's significant, it's important. Is something that we should take notice of because God knows that we're going to read. He encourages us to read through the scripture and we're going to hear it nine times. It takes many times to get it into our head before we really begin to live it out, walk it out. 
Now, the Pharisees were much like the, the people of our day. And what do I mean by that? See, they would take God's word and they would pick it apart until it suited their purpose. This, again, is what we call scripture twisting. As a result, the Pharisees had, had twisted the view of God's love. God's love is a, a sacrificial love. It, it esteems others higher than ourselves. It denies ourselves. It lifts others up. And it's important to understand they had twisted it. And they, they didn't mind loving their neighbors if they could define who those neighbors were. If they were just like them, act like them, thought like them, spoke like them. And we can find ourselves doing that same situation. Sadly, in churches sometimes you have this culture sitting here and this culture over here and this culture here. But yet in Christ, we're all one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. There's neither Jew or Gentile. This culture, that culture. Our lives are placed in Christ, and that's important to understand. See, they had decided again that their neighbors were only fellow Jews. And therefore, they were recipients of the law. No one else beyond that. And that justified them being able to hate whoever they wanted to hate. And that's what people do. They kind of pick apart the scripture. They ignore other passages. You may be in this camp and that camp. And you find it about every doctrine in the Bible. Because people come with their own beliefs to the scripture, determine what they're going to believe, instead of letting God show them the straight and narrow way that leads to life, the things that are pleasing to him. He shows us what love looks like and how we're to to walk out our lives. Well, again, they determined who they could hate. Well, the Pharisees made a a big deal about obeying, again, the word. They had watered it down to their liking. They had, again, twisted the scripture. It was out of proportion, justifying the hatred, the anger, the bitterness. Well, let's take a moment. Look at Exodus 23, 4, and 5 together. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox upon ox or his donkey wandering away, you should surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one of who hates you is lying helpless under a load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You should surely release it. See, we, we need to go beyond. Again, last week we talked, if they ask you to go a mile, go two miles with them. Jesus is always taking us beyond what we could ever, ever imagine. And then look with me in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For, again, you heap burning coals upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. See, a reward comes from heaven. We don't do it for reward, but you know what? God's taking notice. God blesses you, rewards you for doing what's right. Now, I love Deuteronomy 32 35, and, and I'll explain why in a second. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. 
the reason I love it, it says, vengeance is mine. You know, when I, when I leave it to God to deal with those that have hurt me, those that have wronged me, those that are dishonest, those that are corrupt in the government and all the different things, you know what? God's going to deal with them. I've seen people time and time again, they're mad at people for 25 years, something they did. Husband and wife, something happened 10 years, 15 years ago, and they're still holding it over there, and they're miserable. The person who lets it go is free, and they're living for Christ. I like to, to give a little background to really some history here. Two religious political parties, it was is during that time, emerged. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And again, the first group was influenced by the Greek culture we called Hellenism. These are the ones that were the, the Pharisees. It was a, a separatist group. And they were the forerunners of the, the Pharisees. They were always separating from everybody, looking down at, at everybody. But then on the other hand, you had the Hellenizers who were willing to really surrender uh, some of their Jewish distinctives, even the very word of God for qualities of the, the Greek life, the comfort of the Greek life. This is one of the ways that Hellenism influenced that early church as well as Judaism. Anyways, that group matured. They became the, the Sadducees. Again, you had these groups separating and then you had one more group I want to call your attention to, really, is the scenes. They saw the corruption around them. They saw it in, again, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They saw it in the political system. They saw the hypocrisy of the people. And they decided they're just going to up and move away. They moved out by the Dead Sea, and it was there that they would copy the Scripture again, that we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were responsible for that. But they were separatists to the max. They couldn't even be close to anybody. When every person, no matter what the denomination is, born again, is placed in the body of Christ, their lives are hid in Christ Jesus. These groups, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes, they twisted the Scripture, and people today are still twisting the Scripture so they can do and judge and say what they want to say. Sadly, these three groups miss the, the point of being a light unto this world. What the world really needs is the love of God and the light of who he is. And this is what happens when people begin to divide, break up, and twist the scripture. Because if we just do it God's way. Well, look with me in verse 44. We, we notice there that we have a, a test of love. Before we even start, how are you doing? Are, are, are you loving? I've known a lot of people say, well, I, I'm not the loving kind of guy. I don't hug and I don't do this. While that can be an outward affection, love is something that really esteems someone higher. It's sacrificial. It, it gives of itself. It wants the best for someone else. In verse 44, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, the test of love it's loving your enemies. Loving those that have lied to you, deceited you, cheat you. Praying for them. 
being kind to them. When they've hurt you, crushed you, did something to your family, you've forgiven them. You move on. You know, it's, it's very hard if you have somebody that you're mad at and you pray for them every day to be mad anymore. God's trying to free us of the burdens of this world, the, this fleshly, carnal thinking. Again, in Luke 23, 34, notice what it says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast their lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Jesus is headed to the cross. He knows what's going to happen. What was he doing? He was thinking about those right there that were taking advantage of the situation of him. Every one of us have had people take advantage of us. And tomorrow we'll maybe have that happen, or the day after, or this week, or next week. It, it will happen. It's, we're in a life that's just like this. How will you deal with it? How will I deal with it? Will I pray for them? Will I be kind to them? Will I show respect to them and honor to them? That's very hard. It's very hard to deal with. And it's important to understand, while, while God hates evil, he, he still brings blessings upon people's lives, even on what would be called his enemies. Oh, what I mean is that he reigns upon the just and the unjust. It's what we call common grace, a, a favor that he gives to all people, believers and unbelievers, to these, those that are evil and those that are good. And just as God does that, we should do that too. If we're followers of, of Christ, God, then we should live as he lives. And this is what makes this whole passage so applicable. We just have to look at Jesus and see how Jesus deals with it. And that's how we need to live our lives. And this will free us from the bondage of this life. Free us from our own selfishness and rebellious heart. It's there in Acts 14, verse 17. And yet he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful season, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. When's the last time you did something kind for someone that's hurt you? It's so freeing when you do that, begin to do that. We would see marriages healed, relationships restored. Don't forget that God has given us the, the ministry of reconciliation. And this is one of the ways that we do it. It is simply by loving people and praying for our enemies, letting God tear down those walls, letting God work these situations out. It's in Romans 2.4. Notice what it says. Or do you think highly of the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that led me to repentance. I, I knew there was a God. I knew there was a hell. But the amazing thing is God could forgive me. God could love me. God could accept me. And this is how we're to deal with those around us. And this is hard in our, in our fleshly desires, in our carnality. 
when a person loves his enemies and prays for his persecutors. This does not make him, first of all, a child of God, but it does help him see his identity may be in Christ. That he's been born again because only a person born again will enter the kingdom of God. But when God comes in our life, he begins changing and transforming. And these things become natural. And oftentimes people from around us see the change before we even realize the change sometimes for some people. Jesus simply says, love your enemies. <laughs> no matter how big an order is, his grace is sufficient. In fact, he'll keep putting you in situations that you, that you will have to pray for them. You, he'll keep putting you in those situations so you will heap coals upon their head to show you where you're still struggling. Enemies and those who hate you, they're just that hard to love if you stop and think about it because they're so unloving. And, and you see them hurt you, and they go on to the next person, and the next person, and the next person. But that doesn't mean they're beyond the grace of God into that kindness of God that leads a person to repentance. Paul reminds us in Romans 5.5, 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He has given us. See, that capacity is given to you and me because God's poured his love in our hearts. The same love that forgives people. The poor's blessings upon them, this patient and kind, has been poured into your heart. So you have that choice. Will I allow God's love to flow through me? Will I twist the scripture? God really didn't mean that. I've heard that time and time again because people like darkness more than light. They like comfort more than light. And they don't realize that the choices they make are not bringing comfort, but really discomfort in the, in the big picture. The Holy Spirit, when a person is born, takes up residence in his life. So it's poured within the heart. And, and he teaches us, enables us to love unconditionally. To love those who hate us, despise us, to mock us. It's important to understand. This is a work of God. This is the way that Jesus loved. In fact, the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, by, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent His Son as propitiation for our sins. We can love as God loves. We can't give our lives in the same way that Jesus Christ did, but we can live sacrificially to reach others, to heap coals upon their head. See, what happens is when he comes in our life, and, and this is something that we have to evaluate ourselves. No one else needs to evaluate you or me. Now the word Manifested means make visible. When God's love is poured into hearts, it'll be made visible. You'll love things and people that you never loved before. God's shown us what true love looks like. 
And when we struggle with that, we say, Lord, I, I can't love. I, I don't know how to love the way you do. He just gives us more love. He will fill your heart with love. If you want to love as he loves, he will give you the opportunities and he will enable you. If you don't know what it looks like, look at Calvary. Look at the, the sacrifice that he did for you and me. In fact, the Apostle Paul points that out in Romans 5 eight, that God demonstrated his own love toward us while we're yet sinners Christ died for us it really shocks those that are mean and nasty and enemies when you're you're kind to them when they've been so hurtful and so wrong it's heaping coals of it's, it's blessing them it's confusing them that kindness they don't know how to, to deal with and God uses that in their lives Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, so we shall be saved by his life. See, the picture I want you to see is Christ has given his life for you and me. He's died for us while we're in our worst. And we are to go out and give our lives away to others. To pass on that love of, of Christ to others. The only way that you and I can ever do that, when we look at the, the example, how Christ did it. And if we look at what he's done and know that he will give us the grace, we will be able to, to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who hate us, to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. But it's done in the power of the Spirit. It's not something that you can do on your own ability. Once in verse 45, we see that testimony of love so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to, the sun to rise upon the evil and the good and sends the rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. See, this kind love is what proves that we're children of God. This is, again, to other men. God knows our hearts. But when the world is seeing this love manifest in us, Christ's love manifested in us and through us, they recognize it's a testimony to the world. There, there must be a God. They think, wow, he's wronged him. He's hurt him. He's done this. And how can he do this? We need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within the love, that, the love that blesses both saved and the unsaved is a, is a love of God. It's a supernatural love that he pours again into our hearts. The idea is, in everything is, is to be like our Heavenly Father. Well, what do you mean? It means we are to love all men. The lost, the saved, the good, and the bad. There are no exceptions. No, not one. We're to love every person. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and Christ died for all men. And it's this kind of love that we should characterize or should characterize our lives. It's in verse 48. For if you 
love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing to others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? See, there were some Jewish teachers that emphasized the the kindness to to pagans. They they caught it in that sense. They knew that that kindness was drawing people. See, they, they knew the importance of being a light unto the world. There were those that God had a remnant. Oh, they saw the importance of, of charity in, in those, but, but they didn't go much beyond that. They were selfish and self-centered. It's all about me. Now, in the midst of all this, the Romans sought out those who were disloyal to Israelites. They hired them to be tax collectors. They felt they took advantage of their brothers and they did it for the Romans, those who they hated. In fact, the Gentiles were considered unusually immoral, idolatrous. Why should they condone their sin? And yet they couldn't see their own sin. But again, we must remember it's that kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And when we're looking through the Gospels, we see the centurions. Time and time there have been centurions that, that were open. They, they saw there was something different. God had a remnant. He was using, using that kindness in them, the work that he was doing in them to draw them. They saw the vanity in, in, in their pagan culture. Well, it's in Leviticus 18.3. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you to. You shall not walk in their statutes. And then in Deuteronomy 18.9, you are to enter the land which the Lord God gives you. You shall not learn to imitate these detestable things in the nations. And, And yet they were hypocritical. They were beginning to do some of these things and even justify these things. Scripture twisting again. Is not mimicking the standards of the ungodly. There are some today that are doing that. They're more like the world than they are like Christ. To love with a, a partiality. To follow the standards of the heathen. The world is on a path that's ready to self-destruct. The world operates with this idea of twisted conditional love. The natural man will love someone as long as he's pleased with them, but but their love is a selfish love, self-centered love. Their love is fickle. They love you one moment, and in the next moment they despise you and hate you. If we love like that, we're no better than the heathen. And yet it's those that need to know that kindness of God. It's when we allow that God's love to manifest itself in our hearts. See, pours it in, but we have a choice. We can suppress it or allow it to manifest itself. Verse 48 says, Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You go, whoa! There's not one perfect. To be perfect, uh, Christ has set this on, you know, unattainable standard, people first react. 
In fact, James says 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. How can we do that? The standard's impossible, unattainable. What does it mean then? But when we go back and we actually look at the word, the meaning of the word, it's not talking about sinless perfection, but it's talking about being complete, about being mature. See, this is what this whole Sermon on the Mount is. It's maturing, it's growing. We're seeing that also in Hebrews. Growing in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, being conformed to his, to his image. See, the word originally was applied and used in the, the sense of a construction of a house that was being completed. It's done. It's pow. It's lacking nothing. The pickup list is completed. It's ready to move in. And this is what he's kind of trying to explain to us. We're to be like this in, in faith and love, to, to be mature, to be complete, lacking, not lacking any love, not lacking kindness, but to be complete and mature, to grow in that love and, and grace of Jesus Christ. See, as we've been going through, again, the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're looking at the examples of, of true and false righteousness. We'll see that more when we get to chapter 6, and we talk about hypocrisy. As servants of, of God's kingdom, we are to, to live in eternal, supernatural righteousness. The Spirit of God indwells us. When somebody says, I can't love, they're really saying they don't want to love. When they can't do that, they don't want to because God has empowered you. All we need to do is receive him, trust him, believe in him. See, it goes beyond the, the, the religious scribes and Pharisees showing that they're spiritually mature and holy and righteous. It's that kind of love, that kind of action, that kind of maturity will never impact the world in a positive way. Very clear that Jesus gives us this idea of love, and he defines it again in Matthew 22, verse 36 and 40. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest, foremost commandment. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. See, he pulls it all together again and again. This is where we are and how we are to live. And then the Apostle Paul writes amazing thing. He's speaking about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and 14, and he stops right in the middle of the gifts, and he, he begins to teach upon love. And I'm going to insert my name in this passage here, and I'm going to encourage you to do it later yourself. It's from 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And it's really the test of love. This is where we're coming to, is this, this test of love. Ron is patient. Ron is kind. Ron is not jealous. and Ron does not brag or is not arrogant. Does, Ron does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek, he does not seek his own. 
Ron is not provoked, does not take account wrong suffered. Ron does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Ron rejoices in truth. Ron bears all things. Ron believes all things, hopes all things. Ron endures all things. It goes on and says, love never fails. Ron fails apart from the love of God poured in my heart. Love washes us and changes us and transforms us. Each day, you and I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him fill our hearts again with love. Love never fails. You and I can fail. Love triumphs. But the question is, how will you choose to live your life? Will you love as Christ loves? You will love your neighbor. You will love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. Father, thank you for this passage. Difficult as it may be for each of us to search our own hearts. Lord, we do want to love as you love. God, just hone away those things that are hindering us from trusting you, resting in you, walking in faith, loving. Lord, we want to love our enemies. We want to love those who persecute us. We want to be a light unto this world because we know that love does not fail. And we know that you will not fail and you will finish the work in our hearts. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for tonight, for the things you're doing for the hope we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.